This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcatter Nation? Thanks for tuning in and joining us for another episode. This week, we sat down with a father and son duo at DeepCast AI to school us up on how they're applying AI to their physics-based modeling. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. Really quickly, before we get into the episode, let's run through the TPH Energy Insight of the week. COVID-19 has disrupted many lives and industries, and energy is no exception. The sharp decline in demand for petroleum products has brought the oil and gas industry to its knees alongside many of the investments in the technology that supports it. A lot of tech startups right now that didn't have strong financial backing at the start of the virus outbreak are finding new funding hard as investors are looking towards more safer, more established commercial technologies and projects for their investments. Despite increased interest in renewables and alternative energy products growing year over year, the EIA is forecasting that capital investments into energy in 2020 will be about $400 billion, which is about 20% lower than last year. So with capacity additions down and the interest in renewables and alternatives increasing, we see a bigger and more ambitious projects on the horizon, uh, perhaps just not starting or adding capacity in 2021. One reason for this is that we believe the government spending capacity will decrease as governments around the world work to reopen the economies and that the subsidies used to stimulate the investments in alternative energy will begin to wane. However, the declining cost of new technology should counteract this type of disruption should it occur. More and more of these projects are increasing in size and are driving down not only the capital cost, but also the ultimate cost of energy and electricity they will produce. The three opportunities for 2021 that we see are increased spending for large offshore wind projects, hydrogen production for fuel cells, and electrical storage. Timing for true inception of those opportunities will rely on existing disruption. Speaking of disruption, stay tuned for the TPH Disruption Conference coming up this winter. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Willing Gas Startups Podcast. Colin, who we got today? Yeah, we got Hector and Arthur over at DeepCast AI. How are you guys doing? Yeah, nice to have you. Yeah, yeah. very well. Yeah, Thank so, you for inviting us. Yeah, absolutely, man. So we got uh, <laughs> co-founders here. Uh, Hector, you're the uh, CEO and then Arthur is the CTO. So why don't you give us a high-level overview real quick of what DeepCast is and what you guys are working on and then... We're going to dive down into your personal stories, how the idea came about and how you guys are, you know, where you're going in the future. So, yeah, give us a little synopsis on what you're working on. OK, uh, uh, sure. Actually, we, I will start with uh, we are father and son. So, oh, okay. Okay. awesome. Yes. Very cool. I didn't, put, I didn't put two and two together, but now that you pointed it out, I can see it. I think this yeah, is some uh, similarities, right? So yeah. it's probably, <laughs> probably the first podcast guests we've had that are uh, father, son. Have we had? We've had a uh, husband, wife, but we never had father, son. Yeah. So yeah. very cool. It's unusual, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so many people have told us that. <laughs> well, actually, we started the company in, 19, uh, in 2017. Um, what we do is uh, we offer uh, combined solutions between physics and AI for oil and gas. Um, we basically strive for building uh, models in uh, aromatic fashion. So basically facilitate the construction of models to, for different purposes and for field development, mostly. And this is our main, yeah, main main thing. Uh, of course, I mean the, the the company lies in three main pillars, which is data integration. Because without data integration, basically you cannot build models. The the part that has to do with the automatic model building, 
And the third part, which has to do with recommendations. And the recommendations actually are issued by a powerful optimization uh, tool that we have. Mm-hmm. So when you guys talk about the technology, I mean, is this being applied to reservoir modeling or what what applications are you guys using it for? Uh, most of the applications are in the reservoir modeling side. Okay. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, that's uh, in part because, I mean, most of the experience uh, we have developed has been around the, 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 the business of uh, um, resource simulation. Yeah. I mean, myself and other member teams team members have been uh, around the business for a long time. I mean, how to develop simulators and how to understand the numerics behind that. And also we have uh, uh, expertise in the data analytics side. So in our philosophy is to basically combine the two, offer solutions that are basically uh, grounded in the physics, not try to come up with a black box solutions. I mean, that's uh, not acceptable in our case. We try to avoid these type of solutions because uh, engineers basically, they want to get uh, so solutions are interpretable that can be audited and and they can basically re- rely on. So if you offer something that is black box and extendable or generalizable, they don't feel comfortable. Yeah. So with reservoir modeling, are you guys focused on uh, offshore, onshore, both particular basins? Does it matter? It doesn't matter, okay. actually. Uh, models are quite agnostic. Yeah, yeah, just to give you a, high, a p- big picture view, basically uh, imagine what, what we're offering is a platform where we will make it easy for engineers to basically build custom models um, that um, are tied with the physics. So in, in traditional sense, you may buy a, t- a simulator or a, some kind of tool that would have an existing model and you would try to wrangle the data and manipulate the data so that it fits that tool. Mm-hmm. So that's one limitation. The other uh, situation is, let's say you have all this data, you have to have a ton of data, put it in a machine learning model and then that model would be, the model would basically be tied to that reality, and it's very hard to transfer and to uh, um, extrapolate towards the future. You know, do predictions yeah. long term. So what we're offering is um, similar to what you would imagine with an R and D team or a scientist. They would go look at the data, uh, and they would try to find patterns and they generate an equation. And that equation represents the underlying physics. So they, they see, okay, it's repeatable. It's stable. It can calibrate well with different realities in the, in the universe. Mm-hmm. And, and then they say this is a law or a theory that we can apply in a real problem. So what we try to do is we set up an AI to do that process. With a little bit of guidance, you can build an equation. And then that equation would you know, be usable for different scenarios, similar scenarios. Yeah. Like, let's say uh, modeling the reserves or modeling how different wells interact with each other, or even modeling how flo- uh, fluid flow p- uh, flows in a pipeline. You know, different use cases can be applied very easily with this technology. So you guys aren't just focused on upstream then? You know, well, right now our focus is in the EMP sector and okay. upstream. Um, but as we mature the technology, uh, it's very generalizable. So eventually mm-hmm. we'll, you know, fan out to different applications and midstream downstream. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of questions for you, but let's dive into... You know, we've got the father-son relationship <laughs> established. So let's talk, you know, Hector, let's talk about your background first. Okay. And then Arthur, <clears throat> let's move over to you. And, um, right. you know, I like hearing the personal stories of where both of you, you know, came from up to this point And then, you know, how you guys came up with the idea for DeepCast. So All right. start yeah. wherever you want to start, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, um, I actually graduated as a, a computer scientist. But... Uh, 
rapidly after I graduated, I became an applied mathematician. I did my master's and my PhD at Rice University, by the way, um, in applied mathematics. So for me to get actually into the data science was a kind of natural thing because, I mean, from computational scientists to data scientists, there's so much uh, difference. Just mm -hmm. add the data component and kind of done. Um, and then uh, I worked, I started my professional, professional career in Venezuela. That's my home country. Um, and then in, when I did my PhD in 1996, uh, I completed 1996, I went back to Venezuela. I worked for a few years, seven years, and then I came back to U.S. working in the University of Texas, Austin. So I spent five years there working for a research group for actually in oil and gas, uh, providing solutions um, for geophys in geophysics and reservoir simulation, uh, forecasting models, uh, 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 optimization, reduce all the models, and so on. And, and then in 2003, I joined ConocoPhillips uh, here in Houston. Uh, until 2016. So in that period of time, I did I growth my career in in novel solutions for reservoir simulation, non-intrusive solutions. So how to speed up the solution for reservoir simulators, but uh, using kind of data-driven approaches. Uh, so we have uh, interesting contributions uh, that uh, I was involved with uh, with MIT and Stanford to develop some reduced order modeling approaches that didn't rely necessary in the internalities of the reservoir simulator. And then uh, also uh, growth some other uh, ideas regarding optimization. And this is where, I mean, start kind of growing my interest to come up with solutions that could be more automated and faster. So I always had this uh, uh, thing in my, in my head about how to basically avoid the overdoing and redoing of things in oil and gas, in many uh, processes that are handled, many workflows. Um, so that's why that was, that was a strong motivation for me to become a, a data scientist, uh, pursuing ideas that could help to basically automate, simplify, or streamline processes. And then in 2016, I got a, a, an offer with Sanchez Oil and Gas. They were a very uh, uh, eager to build a, a top-class team in data science. So I was in charge of building that team as a director of uh, uh, data science. And in that, uh, that opportunity, that served as an opportunity for me to interact with my son, with Arturo, uh, in the sense that while I was building this data science team, we have requirements to basically integrate all the data sources that we had in the company. And given his experience in Microsoft, uh, I invite him to come, give us a talk, give us some orientation. The managers there were blew away by his talent, his <laughs> knowledge. And he basically encouraged, uh, you should convince your son to come here as a contractor to help us with our vision. And there it is. I mean, okay, so let's... Let's pause right there yeah. and then let's go over, you know, you're <laughs> at Microsoft. So let's talk about your background and up to the point of, you know, joining uh, Sanchez's team. Yeah, basically, um, I mean, my trajectory is quite a bit shorter. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I basically got a bachelor's degree in computer science uh, at UH. Okay. And then uh, right after, out of this uh, college, I went to work at Microsoft as a, a technical program manager. Okay. Uh, the PM role. And I was under what they call now the Bing Ads team. And we did a lot of... Um, I work on. Uh, I did a lot of work on the publisher side and then the advertiser side. So basically, working on um, 
an ingestion platform, getting those ads in, mainly video ads. I was yeah. really well in the video ads business. And migrating that infrastructure to the Azure cloud, you know, uh, building SDK, uh, helping build SDKs for Windows Phone back yep. then, uh, yep. Windows Phone 8. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of good experience there. Got a, my feet wet with a lot of big data and yeah. cutting edge technology. So were you at Microsoft here in Houston or were you somewhere else? In, uh, uh, in the Puget in the, uh, Sound area in uh, Bellevue. Yeah. Uh, they yep. Had a, yep. Yeah, that's where they are. Um, but very close to Redmond. It's like Got you. a few minutes. So then your dad convinced you to come over to Sanchez and you guys started working on uh, Sanchez's data issues. And then, well, uh, I guess to, yeah, go ahead. There's, there's a little gap there. So basically I, I went into entrepreneurship. So I saved up quite a bit of money. And yeah. Built, built a company. Yeah. On uh, digital marketing. And I wanted to kind of get my feet wet as being an entrepreneur. And um, so what was the company? Like what, what was the focus if you're around um, digital, digital marketing? What were you trying to do? I was trying to find ways to give small businesses a way to market their business mm -hmm. and provide an like, inexpensive solution to, to market their business. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did that for a while. It wasn't getting as much traction, but I got a lot of experience through it. Yeah. And uh, in the process, I was also doing consulting as a software engineer. You know, yeah. Providing like a, uh, advice in architecture and software development and how to kind of hire the right people and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So when I was invited by Sanchez uh, through Hector's help, I, um, that was like a main, a main exposure into the oil and gas industry. Before that was, you know, kind of doing a bunch of other stuff. And uh, but I learned very fast. Basically, I picked up uh, when I joined the team, I was basically interviewing a bunch of people uh, sitting down with uh, geologists, mm -hmm. uh, reservoir engineers, and kind of seeing how they work. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the opportunities kind of emerge is there was a lot of gaps in, in a lot of these workflows that could easily be solved with a lot of automation. Yeah. And seeing what, you know, kind of the Puget Sound and kind of Bay Area technology and processes that we've, I, I, I was used to, uh, I was thinking, how do you apply that here in the oil and gas? And, and how do you work with the culture in the oil and gas to you know, make it adoptable. Yeah. So, so you've always been kind of entrepreneurial spirited, yeah. you know, always. And so you bring him <laughs> in oil and gas and he's like, man, yeah. he's like, there's a lot that we can do here, you know? Yeah. And I mean, this is, um, you know, this was 2016, 2017 timeframe. Right. right. And yeah. you know, this is when I started kind of seeing this wave of digital technology coming into oil and gas. And really it was how it was the genesis of our podcast, because at the time you had all these budding startups, but there was nowhere to go learn about the startup. So we we're like, Hey, we'll just start a podcast and we'll start talking to these guys. Mm. But what I loved about the industry was you could take all of these, you know, you could go to Silicon Valley and look at things that they were doing and say, how can we apply this to oil and gas? And so there's a lot of low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. So it's pretty cool that, you know, you came in the industry, didn't have any knowledge of it started seeing like hey everything here's just messed up you know we can fix this <laughs> so you guys you know you, you see the opportunity um do you How say where's your sanchez for it's about a year year but a yeah year, year. Yeah. yeah about a year after i mean mm. we start realizing hey it seems like we could what we're doing here we can do it for many companies yeah i mean, I mean we have good ideas he was uh he, I mean, complimentary i mean we weren't overlapping much and we say okay I have the experience, 30 years of experience in oil and gas where he's bringing energy and fresh ideas. So it makes sense. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Let's work together. 
This episode is powered by W Energy Software. And you know, we've been talking about these guys for weeks. These guys are not only crushing it in upstream, but they're also crushing it in midstream. They've already replaced 22 legacy plant accounting systems. So let's run through seven reasons why you should switch. Number one, they're improving user experience. There's no more ugly and hard to use software. We're all tired of it, right? Number two, their unified platform eliminates data silos, which is gonna help you in enhance data transparency and accessibility. Number three, they're making upgrades super easy. It's cloud-based, so yeah, it doesn't really get much easier than that. Four, eliminating spreadsheets. Come on, guys. It's 2020. Get yourself together. Let's get off spreadsheets. Number five, ensuring compliance. Number six, they're accelerating plant processing time by as much as 150x. Oh, and lastly, number seven, they have top-notch customer support, which is always a huge selling point for me. If you want to learn more about how they can help you, just visit wenergysoftware.com or click the link in the show notes below. So you guys decide, hey, we can do these things internally at Sanchez or, you know, we can actually build solutions that scale across all EMPs. So 2017, you guys uh, founded the company. Is that right? Yeah. That's that's right. Okay. So what was the process of doing that? I mean, you guys have good opportunity at an EMP. You know, I'm sure you're getting paid nice. You know, you decide that you want to go off and do something on your own. Did you guys bootstrap it? Did you raise capital? Did you, you know, fund it with client work? Tell me about that. I think Arturo. Yeah, basically, the the company was founded by me first because it was a consulting company, and that's yeah. how I got into Sanchez. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. But then we rebranded it. We, you know, I got Hector as a co-founder. Yeah. And then we kind of built it out. Um, the, the I think the the, the key moments that kind of it felt like the right right opportunity to do this. It was uh, even before Sanchez, I was kind of looking at the different research that Hector was doing and seeing, okay, can I, how can I commercialize this? You know, there, there's a lot of opportunities here that's, it hasn't been put out there because, you know, the right the opportunity, the situation wasn't right. And, you know, mm-hmm. at, at the time it wasn't right at that time, yeah. or uh, maybe it needed uh, some perspective from a commercialization or a software engineering standpoint. So I was playing around with a lot of these, and uh, I think we reached a point where, well, as we were iterating that, okay, we can actually build this differential technology around physics and AI. Um, we started off bootstrapping. I, I mean, the first amount of money was the money that I, I raised with Sanchez. Yeah. And from there, uh, we got a few different consulting gigs uh, right at, very quickly. Um, and uh, we, we left quite a bit of revenue. We brought in talents mainly through Hector's academic uh, network mm-hmm. and, you know, very talented PhD uh, individuals and uh, uh, with uh, engineering backgrounds and uh, reservoir engineering, petrol engineering. Yeah. So um, I guess from there, we got a, quite a bit of exposure and experience on uh, the little intricacies of what was going on in these different operators, what were the biggest bottlenecks and we identified, you know, okay, this is how this technology can be up, where, where to focus it. And then we start building the platform. So it took us about about a year and a half to build that platform, and now we're kind of in the ramping up stage, you know, trying yeah. to sell more and more of this platform. So you guys in the in the early days, you know, you really started off kind of as a consulting um, service. Yeah, you know, you picked up a few clients mm-hmm. and generated revenue by consulting, and then started investing that into actually building a platform and moving over to a SaaS model, which yeah. is super common, especially in the tech space. I think a lot of people overlook that and they kind of forget that. Oh, like we don't want to build a consulting business, but the consulting business can allow you to build your actual data product, yeah. you know, at scale without having to, you know, raise a ton of money right off the bat, right? It's a good way to get in with the clients, prove yourselves. It's non-dilutive you cash, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to sell your company. <laughs> you see exactly what they want, you get all that feedback, and then you just 
built it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's much easier. You already have a book of business at that point. You can just sell them to them. Yeah, it became very organic. I mean, uh, after a while, we just say, well, I mean, we can just skip uh, angel investment, you know, or seed funding. I mean, mm -hmm. we can just go straight into, you know, building validation and do the MVP, prove out the product in, in the market. And, and that's where we're, we're, you know, trying to ramp up right now and yeah. get to a point where we can go to the, the first investment round. Yeah. So mm -hmm. right now it's, we have no investors. We're just yeah. you know, trying to continue that, that. Awesome. We basically took what we think we'll call the the hard route. Yeah. <laughs> so. The hard route's often the best route, though. Yeah, so yeah, it is. It's it's good. So, you know, you guys, uh, I think you said that you've had the platform. You started building it about a year and a half ago, and you're commercializing it, trying to scale it, get it in more hands. So what are you guys seeing right now? You know, it's been a crazy year with uh, pricing war and COVID. And, yeah. you know, a lot of EMPs are looking for digital technologies that can make them more efficient or, you know, in this mm -hmm. case, more accurate in their modeling. So what are you guys seeing in terms of adoption? Um, you know, are people looking for solutions like this mm -hmm. or, you know, is it still a hard sell? Or what do you guys think? Uh, the good thing about actually having the platform, I mean, think we designed and thought about this platform in a very generic way. And any model that we could build were based on generic also solutions. So for us to adapt quickly to the situation, it was not that difficult. We identify immediate need to basically uh, economic in the economical in the economic side of the companies because they, the first thing they wanted to do is to reduce costs, opex, capex, and we have already tools that could uh, do forecasting associated with economics. So we basically start building that part, change a little bit the the priorities given the situation, and this is what we're actually selling this moment. The, the economic side of our product. Yeah, basically our platform is, you can imagine it's a, there's a foundational part and you can put this in any cloud or on-premise solution. And then we have these different modules. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the most popular module right now is the economic side. Yeah. Because companies are, you know, doubling down. and <laughs> Trying to make money. Yes. <laughs> figuring out how to cut costs. And yeah. So so what, what it does is it, uh, it uses, it, so with the platform, we can connect with multiple data sources that they already have, you know, like Aries and yeah. Drilling Info and all these other uh, public or proprietary databases that they have. Mm -hmm. Just let the data flow. And then our models are constantly updating and generating um, forecasting and economics. Uh, so uh, reserves and economic forecasting model, uh, prediction. Yeah. And with that, you can see the economics, you know, how it will look like in next month or a quarter from now. How, how can I... You know, convert that into a budget and then benchmark as time passes every month, they'll look back and see, okay, this is what I budgeted based on the forecast. And am I kind of keeping on track with my, my performance benchmark? Yeah. So, so what's it like, you know, you go this, this transition from a, a service-based business where you're consulting to trying to build out a platform to where a lot of these processes that you guys are doing manually and that have, you know, implied knowledge around them, you're trying to put that into a platform to where anyone can use, you know, you can put it in front of like, Hey, Colin, you're not that smart of a guy, but you can still use this platform and, and extract deep insight on, you know, whether it's the economic side or the reservoir side, what were the challenges there of trying to do what you guys were doing manually and building it out into a platform? Yeah, I guess, uh, from the development side, the, the biggest challenge is, uh, to build a very generic solution. And because a lot of what well, we see with a lot of companies, a lot of startups that they will say, okay, we'll build 
uh, foc very focused and um, kind of derivative uh, solution to an existing uh, platform. So let's say I use AWS, I build everything against AWS, mm -hmm. and now it's kind of locked into that. Mm -hmm. um, or Spotify. Or yeah. Yeah. Like so one of the challenges was how do we build this in a very generic way? You know, it can support multiple data sets. You can support integration with any simulator in the industry. You can support uh, outputs to our dashboard or uh, other BI tools like Spotify, uh, Power BI, mm -hmm. Tableau. You know, that, that, that flexibility comes at a big cost and a challenge from a development standpoint. But if you pass that milestone, now you you have a very powerful tool that you can pivot anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that's tough too. You know, when a lot of these oil and gas companies, you know, they're building internal products and, you know, they may be built out on Spotfire or something of that nature. And so you have to be able to build something that's ag agile and able to adapt to what they're currently using. So that's another challenge is that you can't just make this software that's in a garden and siloed. It has yeah. to be able to integrate with their current tech stack and, that brings, I'm sure, a ton of challenges as well. Yeah. Hot, hot seat time. Okay. You guys right. ready for the hard questions? Okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say the obvious is that, you know, there's a lot of players in the space. There's the Aries, there's the PHC win as legacy players, a lot of new people coming into the space. There aren't as many, to my knowledge, that are actually combining the physics with the modeling. Uh, I think that seems to be something, physics and analytics, uh, along with the modeling, it seems to be relatively newer. Outside of uh, the AI, what would you guys say is like your major differentiator from anybody else in that space? Mm. Yeah, so I think the data, right? Well, yeah, I the guess. Uh, side. Yeah, well, we've noticed uh, several different things. You know, it can it can be maybe easily generalized, but yeah, what we notice is a lot of these tools uh, they might be very focused on a let's say just the reserves part, or just the data part, mm -hmm. or just the economics, um, and when you even though that you know that's very good, nice. I mean, you end up with a high quality product, uh, and you made the great in the sense of the integration. You know, how do you get it from, let's say, your uh, big data ingestion platform, and then pass it to your reserves tool? Mm -hmm. Maybe some of those tools decide to be very proprietary and closed. So now you have to kind of transform the data and make it work somehow, and that adds additional steps. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you have to pass it to economics. So you put it on Excel spreadsheet and you have all these formulas and try to manipulate the data again. So the way we, we saw is how, how do we break it down to the most elemental, the, the core elements, which is integration of data, modeling, optimization, and the visualization part. So uh, it, it requires a building a lot of interfaces, but ultimately is we want to kind of put ourselves on the side of any existing workflow, prove it out, build confidence with the customer, and eventually when the, once they're convinced, they can decide if they want to use our module or you know, or both at the same time or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so in, in the short term, it's not really replacing, but in the long term, it could happen. If yeah. So right now, would you is it fair to say that you guys are more focused on integrating and connecting all of these parts instead of displacing, you know, current softwares. And then, you know, maybe someday down the road, you guys get to that point. But right now you're more focused on connecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we want to make that. Which is huge. That's it's huge. Like, it's yeah. like much bigger. You guys should talk about that a lot more. You should really put some emphasis on that because that is a much bigger issue than, than people are, uh, are realizing. Yeah. You know, and it seems to me like you guys are really focusing on, really the workflow, like you said, you know, sitting down with Sanchez and, and sitting down with the different people in different departments and understanding 
where their work begins, where their work ends and all the breaks in that work. Right. And that's yeah. something that's super, super important. Like for me and all the tools that we use in the back end, like a lot of different productivity tools and CMSs and things like that. If there's a major disconnect in a tool and we can't integrate it with something, we rip it out. Right. Guess yeah. what? We find if something else that stack, it goes. You know, <laughs> so if it doesn't make our life easier, it goes. And it, you have to understand that workflow. And I think so many people get caught up on building a cool tool or f- building a tool and trying to find a problem rather than analyzing the workflow and, and really trying to solve the user's issues. Right. With that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have observed all this uh, predicament. I mean, from engineers from uh, in back in my home country, Venezuela. And when I was at ConocoPhillips, wow, engineers were suffering how to get things done because they have to connect different simulators or a simulator with a spreadsheet or any database with a simulator. And they spend a lot of time doing that and basically taking them away from the strategic decisions or the strategic, I mean, the strategic part of the engineering mm-hmm. in which they could feel more, I mean, they could contribute more. Yeah. So they were doing a lot of low level work yeah, that's the problem is that they don't, you know, you're paying this engineer, you know, $150,000 or whatever it is, and they're not getting to do the work that you're actually paying them for because, you know, they're worried about aggregating data or connecting, you know, different data. platforms instead of making those strategic decisions as an engineer. So, you know, I think that's a huge problem. And as oil and gas companies are operating in a low price environment like they are today, it's, a, it's like, how do we focus on making our team our personnel more efficient and actually u- utilizing their brain power, you know, to make strategic decisions <laughs> instead of, you know, getting pissed off all the time about, Oh, we can't get this Excel spreadsheet, you know, connected to our seismic data or whatever it may be. So yeah, it's interesting to, you know, I, I think that technologies like this are really needed yeah. in today's economic. Um, and, and I think it's needed. I mean, regardless how big is the company or small, because we can see the stream that, okay, big company have like a suite of different, tools and simulators and so on and still they struggle how to connect them together to yeah. make sense and and the other stream is small companies that they don't have any tool or the spreadsheets perhaps that's the maximum maximum thing they have to do calculations and they require something that could do something better than just you know doing decline curve analysis or they would like to get something more with more physical physical structure and attached to the data they see so I think pretty much we're trying to cover that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the struggles is in any, in any of these two streams. Yeah. yeah. So for you guys, are y'all focused on American operations right now? Or I mean, you know, given your background, Hector, you know, being from Venezuela, are you guys also looking to target international clients, you know, like Paymex or anyone like that? Yeah. Or, right, uh, right now I'm focusing the, in, in, the, in the American, American uh, companies. Yeah. Um, Nevertheless, we have a, a kind of the, do some tries in, in South America, in Argentina, Mexico. How are international companies in terms of technology like this? I mean, are they willing to adopt digital technology and look at it? Or is it a harder barrier than it is here in the States? Mm, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting question. Uh, there, there could be a bit They of- are very intrigued. They are doing their own developments. I mean, if you talk like the Argentina as a national company, they mm-hmm. are trying to do their own stuff. Uh, they are trying to find what is that solution that can complement what they are trying to do. Um, uh, but it's, it's uh, I mean, since we are really focusing mostly here, 
in order to penetrate, for example, the Mexican or Argentina market or any other market in South America, you have to have a strong presence, really f- put in energy to, to capture that market. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we think that with the things we have uh, at the moment, uh, the American market, I mean, has a, there are a lot of opportunities to, 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 to pursue. And I don't, we don't discard at all that uh, after we gain some level of uh, traction, we start looking more heavily the yeah. markets. Yeah, yeah. It, it requires so, quite a bit of, what we've seen is it requires a bit of investment. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you have to. You have to have people there. You have to, yeah. It's a long sales, sales yeah. cycle. You got to have yeah. a lot of people on site. Yeah. Meeting, traveling, yeah. back and forth. Traveling, yeah. yeah. A lot of resources, right? Yeah. Same thing. A common sense thing <laughs> is to focus on what's in your backyard, right? Yeah. Yeah. Focus same, on those guys. Yeah. Same thing as with the Middle East. It's the same thing. I mean, yeah. You have to have someone there and trying yeah. a lot and convincing them with many cases and Eventually, oh yeah. Once they convince, they're convinced. I mean, I've seen I've seen startups personally that have failed because you know they were spending time in the Middle East trying to you know get those customers instead of focusing on operators out in West Texas that are in their backyard, right? And you know, you the sales cycles are so long that you end up drying up and running out of resources. And there's plenty of EMPs here, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) to keep you busy for the next two hundred years. So, so what's you know. I like to ask companies, you know, what your goals are for, you know, the next year or so, because we kind of got a cadence where, you know, a year comes up and you come back on the podcast and it's cool, you know, like Q Engineering was on here way back in the day and then their next update, you know, they sold out to Inveris. So oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> hope that happens to you guys someday, you know, that you can come back and look back. But, you know, where are you guys looking to move forward to over the next, you know, short term, six months? What are some of the key things you're looking to do? You know what I'm well, <laughs> yeah, I'm discussing this lately actually, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the focus right now is um, uh, taking advantage of a lot of the, the automation idea, um, making sure we we solve immediate needs right now, mm-hmm. and you know, especially when a lot of companies are under pressure, uh, we can we'll, we want to help them to get past that yeah. and survive and be profitable. So by automating, we save a lot of time. We see that maybe seventy percent of the time that they spend is on the data, yeah, and then the the third percent in the modeling and. So we want to facilitate that, facilitate that as much as possible with our platform, and then it becomes very natural to just add these modules. And um, our core is going to be on making our models as easy as possible to use for any kind of user. Yeah. So in the past, you had to have like a very advanced degree, a lot of experience to build and maintain models. And I think we're going to reach a point where any non-technical or just reasonably technical engineer can just you know, put, put a few, click, click a few things on the UI and then boom, now it automatically mm-hmm. grabs the data, builds a model, uh, calibrates, predicts, optimizes, all those, all this in one shot. Yeah. So that's very powerful, right? Yeah. When you, when you can enable people to easily extract that insight instead of having, you know, to be a data scientist or a computer scientist. And right. it's like, how the fuck do I work this thing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but definitely, I mean, in a matter of six months, uh, how we see ourselves is, uh, we're currently very focused on the upstream, mm-hmm. but uh, we are uh, entertaining with some ideas about moving the technology towards midstream and downstream. Very cool. Uh, yeah, because uh, they also have uh, data issues. And I think actually, if you see in general, this is, uh, it looks like uh, they have been less exposed to what this movement or uh, solutions are available in, in AI and analytics and physics. So I think there is a lot of things to offer there. 
And given the generality of our solutions, uh, we believe that we can build quickly solutions for them. Yeah. Uh, so it's a matter of uh, just starting, I mean, having the talks and doing some tests with the, uh, with the cases and see what happens. But uh, we strongly believe, I mean, the models that we develop can be uh, suitable for any type of environment. I mean, in the sense that uh, they are agnostic. They just amount of data, understand a little bit the, the physics behind that and the expertise the surrounding the, the use of those models. Uh, we can cook some quick, something quickly for them. Yeah. And and yeah, and then after that, yeah, there are things that we are thinking, but uh, just for the time frame of six months. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a yeah, interesting it's, idea. It's one step pursue. at a time, right? Yes. <laughs> so if someone's listening and they're interested in talking to you guys and hearing more about you, where can they find you? You know, what's your URL to the website? Are you guys on LinkedIn? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's very easy. Uh, you uh, can see us at deepcast.ai. Okay. www.deepcast.ai. Okay. And uh, you can also invite us on LinkedIn or join our LinkedIn page. Perfect. Perfect. We'll, yeah. we'll put uh, links to uh, the website and you LinkedIn and the show notes. Appreciate you guys coming on the show. All right. No, thank no. you. Thanks yeah. to you guys. Great to have you guys. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, guys, if you enjoyed it, uh, take two seconds, share with your friends and family, all your colleagues. We'll catch you guys in the next episode.